Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 133. Just a, a short psalm this morning. And let us pray. Father God, we have just been singing of how we we want to trust in you alone. Help us, Lord, to be people who trust in you as you've revealed yourself to us in your word. Help us to grasp it. Help us to feed on it. Help us to make it the bedrock of our lives. Come and speak to us now, we pray. Amen. It's a sobering moment as a parent whenever you see yourself in your children. And that's beginning to happen in our family. I had one of these experiences recently. I was trying to get Patrick and Sophie fed at the breakfast table and the whole thing descended into a shouting match. Patrick had been growling at Sophie. Stop looking at me, Sophie! Like this. And Sophie was screaming at the top of her voice, No, Patty, no! And this just got louder and louder and worse and worse. And then at one point, Patrick reached for the Rice Krispie box and erected it as a kind of a peace wall between him and his enemy so that they would not look at each other anymore. And it was that bit, it was that bit when he reached for the Rice Krispie box that I thought, goodness, that rings a bell. That reminds me of me and my brother through times when we were, yes, the age of Patrick and Sophie, but actually quite a lot older too. Times when we looked at each other over the breakfast table and hated each other, and I reached for the cornflakes box and put it there so that I didn't have to look at them. I hated them that much. And it was at that point that my mum came along, and she quoted Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Friends, whether we like it or not, the moment we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the moment we take him and say that he is our Savior, we become part of a family. From the time that we call ourselves Christian, we become part of, of this family, uh, the church. And of course, just because we're part of a family of faith doesn't mean that it's a big, happy family, that it's, it's fun all the way. The people in this family aren't always nice. People don't suddenly become perfect whenever they find faith in Jesus. They, they don't suddenly transform into brilliant conversationalists. They don't suddenly make exciting friends and glowing examples. Some of them are grumpy. And if the truth be told, some of the members of this family are, are just a pain in the neck. But at the same time, Jesus tells us that these people are our brothers and sisters. This is our family. And this realization that to follow Jesus Christ brings us into a God-given family, makes Christian people respond 
in a variety of ways. Some people run away and just pretend that this, this family doesn't exist. They don't have anything much to do with this family. Some people are a little bit like that, that person who's maybe leaving home to go to university. They, they move out. Some people move out of this family. They still call in from time to time, but it's, it's very clear that this isn't home anymore. And then there are some people who would never dream of leaving the family. But everybody else in the congregation is dreaming of the day when they will. Because all they do is moan about being in the family. They moan about the food that's served in this particular family. They moan about the way the place is kept. They moan if people ignore them. And they moan if people take too much attention of them and give them too much to do. Friends, there are all these types of responses to the realization that we're part of the family of God. But there are some people who respond very, very differently. Whenever they discover in God's word and just as God shows it to them, that God has called them to be part of his family, they make it the goal of their life to find out why God has placed them among this group of people, what he is calling them to in this place, what they can do to be a blessing to the people around them, how they can live in joy and harmony with the brothers and sisters God has given them. I see people like that as I look down in this congregation this morning. Psalm 133. These three short verses. It's a wonderful invitation into the community of the family of God. Look again at verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And straight away we're reminded here of what we've learned through the whole of our Bibles. Community is essential. Think of creation. It wasn't complete until there's community. God creates the world. He looks at it. He says that everything is good except one thing. What's not good? It's that man is alone. Things are not good until there's community. And then we read on in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Sorry, the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. You see, God never ever works with individuals. He only works with communities of people. So it's no surprise to us then that the first thing that Jesus does when he begins his public ministry is to call the team, the guys who are, are going to work with him, Andrew and Peter, you'll do. James and John, come on, you, you join in too. So Jesus works with 12 disciples and he lives with them in community. And whenever Jesus was asked on one occasion, what is the greatest commandment? Well, you know the answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. But what else does he say? Almost as soon as we are given the first command and we get the notion in our heads that, that following God is something just between us and him, he gives us another command, riveted to it. One that you can't separate 
from the first. He says, if you want to love God, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God can only be expressed fully and finally as we love other people. So Jesus taught this, but then some years later, early Christians began to drop out of this community. They began to think, well, you know, I'll have a lie-in this morning, or I'll go out somewhere and I'll do brunch, or I'll go shopping. But this pastor, he wrote to them, and we can read it in Hebrews chapter 10, he said, let's not give up the habit of meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's, let's stay together. Let's encourage one another. So when you see Psalm 133 and when you see the the Bible as a whole, you'll see that there is no Christian faith that doesn't take place in community. But if we look carefully here, the, the psalmist is saying something more than just talking about community. He's talking about people living together as brothers. Now, sharing... Our life together isn't always easy. And I I think there might be a clue here in this image that he gives of brothers. I've already talked about the the hating of the brother that went, took place across our breakfast table at home. But the world is full of brothers who don't get on. Uh, It's full of sinister stories, actually, uh, of families in strife and conflict. Brothers fight, you see. And sisters are bitchy. And if that's true, and if it's true that brothers don't always get on, then we aren't going to be able to sing Psalm 133 with an awful lot of gusto unless God breaks in here. Unless there's some divine intervention. Of course, God already has broken in here. God is right at the center of the action here. And let me remind you why that is the case. These psalms that we're studying, these songs of ascent, these are the songs the pilgrims sang as they went up three times a year from their towns and their villages to worship God in Jerusalem. From Psalm 120 right through to 131, there's a sense of of moving towards Jerusalem, of preparing to get there. But the last three in the collection... These are psalms that really make sense at the completion of the journey. These are psalms for people who have arrived in Jerusalem. So Psalm 133 is being sung by pilgrims, people of God who have arrived in his presence. Now that should help us, I think, to understand this more clearly. The brothers the psalmist is talking about here aren't biological brothers He's talking about brothers and sisters in the family of God. In his day, he's talking about people who worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In our day, when we talk about about brothers and sisters, we talk about disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who have found their place in the family of God. And that's why Paul is able to command believers in Rome, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So the psalmist begins here in verse 1 by telling us what a wonderful thing it is when God's people live together in unity. 
And then what does he do? Well, if it was me, I would probably tell people to live together in unity. That's, that's what most preachers are prone to do. We, we cajole and we boss and we tell. But the psalmist doesn't do that. The psalmist says it's a wonderful thing when people live together in community. And let me show you two pictures of just how wonderful it is. And that's what he does in the rest of this short psalm. Find the first picture in verse 2. He says that the unity of God's people is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. Sounds awful, doesn't it? In this uh, L'Oreal, because we're worth it, culture in which we live, the description of greasy, oily hair just doesn't do it for us. Properly understood, it's a glorious, glorious image. Comes to us from Exodus, way back in Exodus 29. Instructions were given there for the ordination of Aaron and the other priests. After sacrifices were prepared, Aaron was dressed in priestly clothes. And then this instruction was given. Take the anointing oil. Anoint him by pouring it on his head. In this way you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Throughout the Bible, oil is a, it's a sign of God's presence. And if you think about it for even a moment, oil is a, it's a very sensuous thing. It, it's a glistening thing. It looks beautiful in the light. It softens things. It softens our, our skin uh, when we use oils in our skins, it can perfume a person. It, it can lubricate things and make it make things easier. Friends, the oil of God's presence among us ought to make our community a, a warm and a vibrant and an easy sort of a place. A place that contrasts with hardness and with coldness and formality. In contrast, I would say, with keeping each other at arm's length. But the psalmist isn't talking here about any, any old oil. This anointing oil he's talking about, as I've already said, is the oil that marks a person out to be a priest. Did you know that brothers and sisters in Christ are priests to one another? Did you know that? That's what God has always intended. Check out again what God says way back in Exodus chapter 19. It's in verses 5 to 6 on page 77. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom And that's, of course, what the Apostle Peter picked up on in that passage which Jim read for us earlier uh, when he read it along with the psalm. Peter says to those who are followers of Jesus Christ, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Friends, look around you this morning. Do you see the oil pouring 
down the head, through the hair, and onto the shoulders of the brothers and sisters in Christ around you? Do you see all the priests? Do you see them? Do you see those whom God has given you as a gift to be priests to you? I see it. I see it from up here. I see people, people who pray for me. Bring me often and faithfully before God. I see people who speak God's word to me. At times when I need to hear it for my encouragement, even to redirect me if need be. I see people who, who serve with me, who serve God, who join me in the work of, of, of the priesthood. Friends, there are people in this congregation who are every single bit as much a priest as I am or as Aaron and the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. When we see each other as God's anointed priests, we never relate to each other the same again. In his second picture, the psalmist says that when there's a community of God's people, it's as if dew was falling on Mount, the, the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. Mount Hermon, look this up in an atlas when you go home, it's fascinating. It's by far the highest mountain in, in that biblical part of the world, that, that, that world that, that where our, our biblical stories find their, their, their situation. It raises over 9,000 feet. It would sit very well among some of our tallest Alps. Now, if you've ever slept for a, a night in the mountains or hiked in the early morning at altitude, you'll know how the dew soaks everything. In the summer of 1997, I had the chance to, to camp at probably the highest altitude I've ever been at, 5,500 feet. It was in the, the Swiss Alps. And even though the weather was wonderful, lovely sunny weather every day, every morning when I woke up, my tent was soaked. And it took me a couple of days to cotton on to it. That's what the dew does when you're at a high altitude. It just soaks everything. The psalmist here imagines the heavy, heavy dew that you find at 9,000 feet on Mount Hermon. And he imagines that dew falling on the, the barren and dry hills around Jerusalem. Nurturing this place, bringing new life and freshness, a, a sense of mourning, of anticipation of freshness. Friends, I think it's vital that as a church family that we have an ever-renewed expectation of the new things that God is going to do among us and in individual people. Our community here at Kirkpatrick Memorial will flourish if we see it with these eyes. If we're always on the lookout 
for the, the new things that God will do, the new ways in which he'll bless us, the new life that he's going to bring to us. Eugene Peterson, talking about this passage, puts it like this. He says, when we're in the community with those whom Christ loves and redeems, we're constantly finding new things about them. They are new persons each morning, endless in their possibilities. We explore the fascinating depths of their friendships, share the secrets of their quest. It's impossible to be bored in such a community. Impossible to be alienated among such people. I think that's a, a message for all of us. But as I thought about this, I wondered whether God might not be speaking this particular word in a particular way to, to some of our longer standing members this morning. Perhaps you've been a member in our congregation for, for 20 or 30 or for 40 or for 50 years. Maybe you feel like you've seen it all before. You know who's who and what's what. You know who's, who's this type of person and who's that type of person. You know who's spiritual and who isn't. Because you've always known these things and you know they're not going to change. Dear older brother, our older sister in Christ, can I ask you to come out and to stand in the place of God's wrenching dew, the place where new things happen, the place where new things happen in people's lives, when, where people who maybe have been pretty much the same for 40 or for 50 years change because God falls on them by his spirit in a new way. Friends, let's not be content to be the dry and the, the barren place. Let's instead be a community from young to old who stand in the place where God's dew falls and where we look. When brothers live together in harmony, it's as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. The psalmist closes, and so must we for this morning. In the last line, he tells us that this good life together is where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I wonder what you think life forevermore or eternal life is like. Heaven. If, if we want to put it that way. I wonder what you think that's like. I think the images of eternity that we come up with are often so boring and so bland that we don't want to go there. If we're honest. The, the image of heaven that we have in our head is so unappealing that we sometimes wonder if all the crack won't be in hell. Friends, here in Psalm 133, we get a hint, just a glimpse, that all the crack is going to be in heaven. All that's good about human life, all that God has created us for and intends us to do and to live for, will be found in that place where we fall under his eternal 
blessing. That place where he gives life forevermore. As far as I can tell, heaven is going to be nothing so much as it's going to be like a brilliant party. Finally, we are going to be with Jesus, the one whom we love. We're going to be there in in perfect relationships with the people who love Jesus and whom he has given us. That's going to go on forever. Friends, bring together in your imagination all the people whom you most enjoy being with. Those with whom you've shared wonderful experiences. The people who make you feel most fully alive. That, I think, is a hint of heaven. For there the Lord bestows his blessing. Even life forevermore. Father God, we can hardly fathom the glory of this life that you've called us to. Lord, you've taught us here in your word that that being in unity with one another, being brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, we'll come into a place where we we are priests to one another, where we can, can really point one another to you. Help us to do that. Help us not to be content to look to a a minister or a leader or some Christian big shot. Help us to to be priests to one another as you have always intended. And Lord, give us that sense of, of freshness as your dew falls on us. Show us the new things that you're calling us to. Make us open to them even when they frighten us. But make us a people ready to take all that you would give us, all those blessings you have for us. And Lord, we pray that you would make us people who live lives that will give already a glimpse of heaven to those who look on. Lord, for people who can't imagine what it would be like to spend eternity with you, give us by your spirit, give us all that we need to make the Christian community already a place of glory that speaks for you and glows with your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name.